people that innovate are people that are not afraid to be different and not afraid to fail. And you're right, that may not be a common disposition, um, but I know most of the folks that I know that are innovators, most of the folks that I know that are misfits and disrupt this whole misfits movement, we are a movement of people who are not afraid to fail. I'm Jeremy Dixon, and you're listening to The Misfit Manifesto. is mental health practitioner and my very dear friend, Dr. Algernon Baker. Uh, Dr. Baker has dedicated his life and work to destigmatizing therapy for men and in the African-American community. And on this episode, we discuss that journey, the psychology of innovators and innovation, and the cultural norms that tend to hinder it, and how to program ourselves to flourish in an innovative way Thank you so much, dear brother, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Algernon Baker. What's up, homeboy? Dude, thanks for having me, man. This is uh, it's my pleasure, bro. It's my pleasure. Absolutely. <laughs> we've had a lot of time like practicing this on Instagram and in private, and now we're doing it officially. I'm excited about this being on your pro- your podcast, and um, let's get into it. Let's do it. When you think about your own journey, it has been a disruptive one. I mean, you know what I mean? Here's what I mean by that, dude. You, like, you have, you've had visions. I mean, you've been in several industries, music, uh, ministry, therapy. Like, you just, you get good at something. You figure you you got a vision for something, and you you don't shrink away, bro. So talk a little bit about your own process, your own journey relative to just accomplishing things that you saw. I actually started off as a musician. That was, that was my, my first, um, career. I toured Europe for a couple of years with a gospel group. I thought that I would be a musician. That was my path. Um, the Lord called me to preach and to pastor, and I started in, into full-time ministry and did that for a while. I actually planted a church. Um, so I was a church planter for a while. I have uh, been also um, on, in different areas of church ministry. I've um, been an interim pastor and, of course, a senior pastor and now a therapist. For me, I always was afraid of not trying the thing that was in my heart to do. Hmm. And I've had several of those. I felt a pricking in my heart. I felt a concern. I saw a need. I heard the voice of God. And I was never really afraid to step out because I thought, well, what's the worst that can happen? Mm -hmm. The worst that can happen is that I fail. And if I fail, you know, that's okay because I can do it again. I can figure out how to do it again and start over. Mm -hmm. So in every industry that I've been in, um, I haven't been afraid to just make mistakes. I haven't been afraid to to fail. Uh, And I think that's that's really a crucial thing that every disruptor needs. You got to be more afraid of not doing the thing than you are of doing the thing and failing. Because just because you fail once doesn't mean you won't fail at the next uh, time you do it so you keep trying and you keep trying and you you're, you're relentless and you, you know you learn what doesn't work and you learn what does work and you take the data from what you what you learned last time even if you're changing industries you mm-hmm. take the data that you have have and then you begin to, to to create something new and do it in a different way so for me I've just never been afraid of stepping out and doing that I was always more afraid of getting old and and near death and thinking, man, I wish I had done this. Yeah. I wish, what would have happened had I done this? What, yeah. what would have happened if I had just 
Um, you know, I've, I've heard the phrase people say, and I'm sure you have as, as well. What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? Yeah. Well, you know, even if you're going to fail, it's okay because you, you're going to be in good company. Yeah. Because most humans fail. Failure is a part of success. Yeah. No, dude, I, I dig that. Now, I will say, man, you know, I, my curiosity is that, you know, that doesn't feel like it's a very common disposition on the whole, like in culture. I think there's there's this enormous fear of failure and not just like the like direct consequence of failure, but honestly, like the shame that comes along with it. And I'm wondering, and you tell me what you think about this. I'm wondering, you know, is the this Instagram culture where people are curating the best parts of their lives and almost positioning them as the entirety of their lives that is setting up this idea that it's all rosy. So then if you find yourself in, in not the Instagram fantasy, then something's wrong with you. And so it causes you to be a little risk averse. Like, what are your thoughts about, about that? I think you're absolutely right. I think in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a time in history and with all of the platforms that we have, people are, you know, they're curate, curating, as you said, what their life online is going to look like. Yeah. And if you're astute and if you're paying attention, you know <laughs> that this person is taking the picture from a certain angle. Mm -hmm. They're taking it with the best lighting. They're mm -hmm. taking whatever they think is the best, their best side, you know, their best look. And once you know that, you realize this is, uh, in a lot of ways, all of us are putting forth our best selves. And that's okay. But as you mentioned, the, the problem with it is that most folks don't put their failure out there mm -hmm. in the same way. They don't say, gosh, I tried this and it failed. I opened this business and it went under. I, I, I took a risk here and uh, and I lost everything. Yeah. You don't hear people talking about yeah. that. Um, most folks don't want to put that on blast because they're ashamed of it. And shame is a real, it's a real uh, uh, killer because a lot of folks are afraid of failing and the shame that goes along with it. So they never try. Yeah. And as long as you never try, as long as you as you decide to be ordinary, you're you're never going to be an innovator. Yeah. People that innovate are people that are not afraid to be different and not afraid to fail. And you're right. That may not be a common disposition. Um, but I know most of the folks that I know that are innovators, most of the folks that I know that are misfits and disrupt this whole misfits movement. We are a movement of people who are not afraid to fail. Yeah. And the truth is, all, many of us will tell you about our failures. Yeah. And that was the thing that always frustrated me as I was as I was growing up. I think, you know, looking at models of success, it just guys that were successful made it look easy. Yeah. And they didn't talk always about how they failed and, and how they struggled and how they lost sleep and how they lost money and how they made bad investments and how they had to learn from those things. And I think now it's it's really helpful if you can live your life with a certain degree of transparency and say, you know what, I tried this and it just it didn't work. And it uh, I tried this and it just didn't work. Or I, I wasn't suited for it. This was not perhaps the time to make this uh, this adjustment. And the culture specifically is designed to reject misfits. Mm. We like sameness. We like we mm. love sameness, and that's what we glorify. And so if you are a misfit, then the, the culture is designed to, to reject you. And from the time that we're very small, you know, we used to call it peer, peer pressure. Yeah. But from the time that we're very young, we notice what's cool and what's not. 
we notice about being um, who's going to get picked for the for the dodgeball team or who's going to be picked to do this or who's going to be in the in crowd, who's going to dress, you know, well and who's wearing name brand and who's wearing what are those. And, and all of these things are, are really, really salient for a lot of younger people because they don't often see other people who, who say, you know what? Fashion doesn't really matter as much to me. I'm all about trying to make investments mm-hmm. and it's, I don't necessarily have to look good. I just, I want to make these right investments and, uh, and secure the life that I want based on what I sense my inner calling to be. And the culture will just spit you out. If you're, if you're something different and you don't have, um, if you're not, uh, you don't have the tenacity to stick to it, the culture will, will crush you because it's designed to promote sameness. Yeah. Um, and in the same way, I should, I should say in the opposite way, those who are going to be disruptors, you got to have people around you that are willing to push you and make you be the best of yourself. Yeah. Not push you to be like everybody else, yeah. but to say, man, I see something in you and it's different and it's unique and you need to go, go all in on that part of yourself because that is where your highest and best use is. Um, I, I, remember, I feel like I'm talking too much. <laughs> That's why I have you on the podcast for you to talk. So please <laughs> knock yourself out, brother. <laughs> well, I was, I was pastoring in Missouri. And the thing I loved most about pastoring was, uh, was the counseling. That mm. was the part that, I, that was so um, uh, fun, if counseling can be fun. That's, that mm-hmm. was, that's what really turned me on. I like preaching too, but I really like the one-on-one interactions helping individuals and helping couples try to try to navigate their lives. And I thought, you know what, I want to, I want to do more of that. And I got to tell you, um, certainly don't want to offend anybody, but I got to the place where I thought I'm not, I'm not great at pastoring. I don't think. And I don't love it in the way that a lot of other guys just seem to love it right, so right. much. They can't wait till Sunday. Right, and right. I, I got to a place I was like, Oh God, Sunday. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, okay, these people need a better pastor than this. I want to, I want to hone in on what I do well, mm-hmm. and I want to do that for the rest of my life. So went back to school, got my PhD, and uh, and decided to do that. Was it scary? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Because I had I had uh, four people to to support. Yeah. You know, and yeah. uh, stepping out on faith and on nothing um, was was difficult. But I believed. That, that I could do it. And for me, there was no other choice. I, there was no other choice. I had um, I had decided I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do anything at all. I remember leaving my parents' house. My mother said, when I told my mother I was called to ministry, she cried. And uh, I thought she was crying because she was excited. You know? <laughs> she's, she's crying with me. And she said to me, you're never going to have anything. <laughs> I thought, you know what, mama, I, and I said this, she's like, well, and my father, you know, he's a business owner. And he was like, you need to have a backup plan. And I was like, God is not, I was real deep. He was spiritual. real spiritual, real spiritual. Like, God is my backup plan. You know, how dare you? Oh, God. Tell me I need a backup plan. So, you know, and that was my thought. I, and I remember saying to them, I'm going to sink or swim in ministry. Hmm. And the truth is, I did not sink. God gave me grace to do what I did. And then when I was ready to put that part of my life to the side and do something else, God has still been with me. And even when I said, you know what, I'm going to sink or swim uh, in, in the therapeutic mm-hmm. uh, arena. Mm-hmm. And I have not sunk. I've not sunk in, in a time where 
a lot of people were losing their jobs during the pandemic. My business actually, as you would imagine, sure. absolutely took off. Sure. And so, um, but a lot of it had to do with uh, not so much fearlessness, but really courage. Yeah. Courage to do what I believed I could do, what God had gifted me to do. And I was just terrified that if I didn't do it, I'd regret it for the rest of my life. Yeah. Dude, one of the things that you said I wanted to go back to that I think was super important. You talked about this idea of sameness. And it occurs to me that, you know, in a in a and this is not a, a this is not an absolute or tacit knock of capitalism, but in a capitalistic culture where you have a population attempting to drive consumerism, sameness is necessary for scalability. If I you know, I can only scale my business if I get enough people, I reach critical mass, right, to be able to get this product moved. And so, of course, they're trying to get everybody to like X, Y, Z, why it allows for them to scale, for them to, to collect more. And so with that being the case, I think it's not just, in, you know, the whole idea of consumerism relative to purchasing things, it, it, it requires that you buy into ideas, Right. If, if I want you to love this thing, you have to believe I'm selling you an idea. I'm selling you a lifestyle. And so when that selling of a lifestyle happens, people start to line up and you're almost, you know, disincentivized to be unique, to wear the different thing, to drive the different thing, to, you know, to live at the different thing, because ultimately you're being encouraged to fall in line so that you can purchase uh, whatever it is. And and so for me, and here's my question to you, you know, in a world that's trying to perpetually put you in a place of consumerism, how do you develop a productive mindset? How do you move to the place of I'm not a, just a consumer and all of us consume, I'm not saying that we don't, but if you're not able to counterbalance that with some level of this production, creative, you know, I, I'm not just going to go along and be a part of, but there is something unique and I want to put something in the marketplace, you know, if you don't create that, then you find yourself, I think, getting to a point in life where you look back and say, well, what what did I leave in culture? What did I, you know, and this, and I'm not trying to hate on anybody, but I think it's far too many of us that just have not been released to offer something that is unique. And so my question to you is, and just from your, you know, from your background, as you've met with people and, and talked to people, how do you get people to lean into that creative edge, that, that, that capacity to be different, to not just go along and get along, but to recognize that there's something unique about you that you need to explore? Yeah. Well, see, the value is in the difference. The value is in the uniqueness. Right. And that's, you know, sometimes we, if we got a product, we need to make sure that the product is consistent so that every time a person goes to buy this product, it looks the same, sure. it works the same every time, and it feels the same. So a product bought in Los Angeles should look exactly like a product bought, bought in South Florida. Right. Because, you know, that's what's necessary for the marketplace. But th there, there's a group of people who realize, hey, I, my 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 value is in my uniqueness. Yeah. yeah. And as long as you're not trying to be somebody else, as long as you're being your very self, you can count on there being a space for you. I believe the Bible is right. And it says your gift will make room for you and will bring you before great men. Yeah. And, and what that means is, at least how I hear it, is your gift 
every individual person, your particular gift is going to make room for you. And you got to really trust and believe and, and, and in some ways just know I am unique. And as long as I lean, lean into my uniqueness, as long as I'm able to, to lean into who I am instead of shrinking back and feeling shame and, and, and um, degrading myself because I'm not like everyone else, if I can take that unique slice of myself and do the thing that I only can do mm -hmm. that is unique to me, mm -hmm. that is where miracles take place. But the do people place at the place? Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was, just, I was just saying that miracles take place where I, I tap into my own uniqueness and I'm not afraid to release that. Yes. And again, if if I release it in, in this in this season and it doesn't work, I can try in another season. That's the difference between a business owner and an entrepreneur. Because an entrepreneur keeps creating. Sure. You know, so a business owner might own a, a hair salon. Yeah. But an entrepreneur owns a hair salon, and they might they might own a, a property. They might they might own a daycare. Several other businesses. They can keep recreating and recreating mm -hmm. because there there's uniqueness, and and they celebrate the uniqueness instead of celebrating sameness. So, but here's so my here's my question. You talk about well, let me say it this way. I think the linchpin certainly is the ability to celebrate who you are as an individual, but a prerequisite of that is knowing who you are. And my curiosity is, you know, do we live in a culture that prioritizes an individual really taking the time to explore, to understand, to, to inquire about who they are before they can even celebrate it? Like, do we really spend the time to get to know ourselves? Yeah, I think the culture does not do a good job of that because the culture values sameness. Yeah. So part of that has to do with parenting. Hmm. As, as a parent, that it's your responsibility to help guide your children into not always feeling like uh, they have to go a certain route in in order to get to where you know they're going. They don't necessarily have to take the route that you took sure. or that someone else took. But to teach your kids to be creative and teach your kids to be confident. And teach them to know that they're unique in their own. Their voice is unique. Uh, their style is unique. Their thoughts are unique. And to help them tap into that, then they don't they don't buy into the idea that I have to be like you in order to succeed. Yeah. Or if I am myself, my very self, people won't like it. Yeah. And a, a lot of that um, is is imparted by parents who are encouraging their kids and saying, "You are you're amazing. You can do great things." You are just as smart as anyone else, and you can do this if you try. Yeah, so fun. Is that helpful? No, no, no. I'm I'm digging it, man. I was listening to a podcast or something uh, by Andy Stanley, and he said something that I think was so poignant. He said, um, "People who say that they can't be themselves, or the people they're engaged with won't like them," he said, "they don't like you now." They like the version that you are putting forth. They don't like you. And so no matter how long you perpetuate whatever you feel like is likable to them, if you 
if you interpret that as them liking you or accept, they're, they're not accepting you or liking you. They're accepting some version you you fabricated and you'll never be able to truly engage at a deep level because you have not had the space to be authentic. And I think one of the things that I'm like, like coming across in all of these dialogues I'm having around this idea of market disruption and innovators and creators, whatever is, there's this deep need for authenticity. And, and I, I, for those of you who are listening, I know you're thinking, you know, Jay, you keep bringing the same words up, but I feel like it's one of the threads that we keep coming up against is that, you know, in order for you to really offer culture something of consequence creatively, you're going to have to get in touch with who you are. And you have to be at a point of being okay. Like growth, yes, we're going to grow. You're going to change. You're going to invest in yourself. All, but the, the starting point is you got you to accept you. You got to get to know you and you got to accept you. That's it. And in order to accept you, you got to know you, which is what you said first. Yeah. In order to know you, you got to spend time with you. Spend time with you. Not just, you know, in the midst of other people. There needs to be significant time spent alone. And so many people are afraid of being alone. Yeah. That it just doesn't happen. They're afraid of silence. They're afraid of not having, you know, movement. And even there's some people who who swear they can't go to sleep unless the television is on. Yeah. And so I think we sometimes we are so busy with noise that we don't have time to really honor our own thoughts yeah. and to think to ourselves, who am I? Yeah. And and why why do I do this? Hmm. This is a habit of mm-hmm. mine. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, it's difficult for me to, to forgive people or mm. I, hold, I hold grudges. Why do I do that? Yeah. And to really investigate who you are and to know who you are so that you can, you know, if you're going to create, then you can be more. Of, of, of who you are. I think related to that is that so many people grow up in chaos. Mm. Their, their homes are chaotic, whether it's two parents that are always fighting, whether there is some uh, childhood sexual trauma or, or any number of things that might happen. Uh, it's a chaotic environment. And so those folks grow up in, in, in many cases, they grow up, they, they need to order their environment. Mm-hmm. They need uh, some folks like that. They, you can't surprise them because they, they freak out. They need to have the environment orderly because they grew up in a chaotic environment and now chaos uh, freaks them out. It mm. triggers them, as most people say colloquially. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but the truth of the matter is, if you're able then to, to figure out how uh, to create from chaos, you know, what, what, what was there in Genesis 1, right? Mm-hmm. The, form, the formlessness and the void yeah. um, that creation came out of, even even in chaos, something beautiful can emerge if there's enough time. And to, to steal this metaphor, the, the Bible talks about how the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters, or it oh, hovered. Oh, come on! You're if you take deep. time to let to let the, the Holy Spirit hover over you, mm-hmm. and you take time with yourself to listen to yourself, to talk to God and ask God to reveal yourself to yourself, so that you are not deceived about who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, then, then you step into a place where you can really honor your own uniqueness because you know yourself. Nobody can come to you and tell you something about yourself that you don't know. Yeah. Because yeah. you spend enough time with you, you know who you are. You know yourself, flaws and all. Yeah. And and that's really important. I, I kind of feel like you missed preaching a little bit because you know you done took us to church a few times in this conversation. <laughs> 
I'm going to pass I'm a off and play in a minute. Dude, I started preaching at 18, so what I, can I say? I understand. If you're listening, you want to sow into this word, just uh, go ahead and click on the button at the bottom of your screen and give to the word of God today. Text to give at one, two, three, four. <laughs> I just feel like this is a, a Misfits Manifesto uh, 2023. You can see, sow your seed of $2,023 and see if the Lord don't bless you real good. <laughs> even, even if you only got $20.23. Come on. Now. Yeah. Now, it ain't going to be the 2000 blessing, but it's going to be a blessing. You don't get the, the discount blessing. The <laughs> $20 blessing. <laughs> so, oh, but there's a blessing. Oh, but it's a blessing. Blessing is a blessing. All right, so check this out. So I feel like another thing, in fact, there's a. In a Harvard Business, Harvard Business Review article, Tim Brown, he talks about characteristics of what he calls design thinkers, right? Kind of in the same frame of what we're talking about. And one of the things he highlights is this idea of optimism, that an essential function, right, characteristic of those who are innovative, who are creative, who are, you know, who are charting the next course, right, are people who have optimism. Now, it seems, I don't know, maybe the sum's so trite, you know what I mean? Like, oh, you know, be optimistic. But it's an essential characteristic. Talk a little bit, a bit about how important it, how important it is, um, to be optimistic, to to legitimately believe that there is a solution to the challenges that you encounter. Because you know you can live in a world where all you see is problems and all you see is what is broken and mal malfunctioning. Um, but in order to be a creative, in order to be a disruptor, in order to be an innovator. You have to have this inner wiring of optimism that sees the light, you know, at the end of the tunnel. Like, talk a little bit about that. Well, it's what you decide to what you decide to focus on. Hmm. So, if you are a person that decides to focus on the fact that it's raining outside, and oh my gosh, it's raining outside, I can't do. I was going to go to the park today, but it's raining outside, and you start to ruminate about how terrible the rain is. You will work yourself into a depression and you will go back and get in bed yeah. and waste your day in bed mm. when you could actually be doing something else if you decide to focus on something else. So, oh, it's raining outside. I was going to go to the park, but you know what? I've got some boxes in my closet I need to clean out. And this is probably a really good day to do that. So I'm going to spend time doing that and finding other ways to be productive despite the negativity. See, we can't get around the negativity. Right. It's there. You don't have to look for it. It's present. It's always present. But if you decide to focus on opportunities, then you're going to see where you can be more optimistic instead of focus on focusing on what is negative. When you start focusing on the opportunities that you have, you, you're going to be more and more optimistic. And the, the, the culture has trained us to be pessimistic. Hmm. In a, lot of, in a lot of ways, we keep getting um, um, crushed in this into this conform. There's, and there's a price for conformity. Yeah. But we get we get crushed into this uh, this notion that that we need to complain about everything and we need to fuss about everything and we need to be depressed about everything. Whereas if you just flip that coin over, there's another side to it. Yeah. It yeah. just depends on what you decide to focus on. Yeah. And so many of us are focused on. Uh, on pessimism. Yeah. And the trick of pessimism is a pessimist thinks that he or she is a realist. Mm. So wait, so yeah, yeah, wait, yeah. Yeah, wait, yeah, wait, yeah. So yeah. a pessimist will say, I'm just being real. I'm just calling it like I see it. I'm just an umpire, balls and strikes. I'm calling balls and strikes. I'm just doing, you know what I'm saying? I see what it is. That's pessimism. Yeah, I'm, keeping it yeah. I'm keeping it a buck. I'm keeping it a hundred. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 
Uh, so, that, but, that, okay. That's how they talk. Gotcha. The is, that's not 100 because uh, a, a, a pessimist doesn't want to acknowledge their pessimism. So they'll say, I'm just being real. I'm just keeping hmm. it real. And so they, they start to focus on the things that are negative. And that's how you know the difference between a realist and a pessimist. Because a, real, a realist says, yeah, there's some tough things out there, but there's some great opportunities too. Mm. You know what I wish, man? I wish that in, in January of 2020, I wish I had bought stock in Zoom. Yes, Lord. I wish I had bought stock in Zoom because who knew yeah. that by April of 2020, this platform would just blow up yeah. all, globally. Yeah. That people were going to be using this platform. Um, and I think, you know, you, you can look at what's bad. So you can focus on on uh, the pandemic in this case, let's say, oh, my God, people are dying and it's so bad and I'm scared to go outside, et cetera, et cetera. And it was a real fear. Yeah. But on the other side, there are people that made money yes. because they saw opportunity. Yes. In the midst of the chaos. Yes. They saw opportunities to um, to be able to flourish. Yeah. And they have and they did. Yeah. yeah. I, so like so this is that's a critical point. Because sometimes, you know, people who are able, let's say, um, in critically chaotic moments, who are able to see the opportunity and, for lack of a better term, capitalize or leverage, right, um, can be right can, can be seen as maybe being or lacking a level of empathy for the people who may be suffering from the circumstance. And it could disincentivize people from taking chances or making moves. Like when a, a, a phrase that I heard my father say years ago, and he was quoting someone else, he said, "Often we look when you look at history, oftentimes when there's blood on the floor, there's money to be made." Oh yeah, right. And you know, and being able and not not leaning into that in a way that celebrates whatever carnage has happened or celebrates the difficulties, but to be able to recognize that in that moment, um, even from through the lens of just help, you know, when you're able to solve a problem, when there was a crisis in culture, if you have a solution to that crisis, right, obviously you can monetize that on some level, but not being afraid to say, let me look at how I can add my value, add my innovation, add my creativity to this moment, and then be able to profit from me, you know, it's like, you know, in, and this might not be a good, uh, you know, analogy, but in the, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. So how do I say, hey, everyone is blind. I've got one eye. I, dude, why are you laughing? Dude? I'm, I'm serious. Dude. <laughs> I got one eye. I'm going to use my one eye to look out to make sure that we don't get hurt, right? If, if the enemy comes, I'm going to yell. You know what I'm saying? If there's food walking by, I'm going to let y'all know. I'm going to use that. However, for this site, I will be charging you $19.95, right? <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like being able to like lean into that. And if you find somebody else that's got one eye, now you got two eyes. Yeah, you got two and eyes. you collaborate. Come on. You know on. what I mean? Come on. The guy with one eye can find another guy with one eye. Yep. And uh, and now you, you've doubled your, your opportunity. That's right. And right. so part of it is looking around and seeing that you're not stick. So hmm. um, I was there was a part of me that was sure I was going to go out of business in 2020 because I was doing face to face. Yeah. And I just I thought, man, who's going to want to do online therapy? Nobody wants to do that. And um, and I just remember I made I had made a great investment into my business and money that I didn't have. Um, but I put it into my business and then all of a sudden the pandemic hit. And I thought, I thought, man, I'm going out of business, but 
I'm not sick right now. And uh, my wife at the time did an amazing job of making sure all, our whole family was was um, was safe and 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 kept free of COVID. So I looked around and thought, okay, so I'm not sick. I'm going to keep working this business plan. I'm going to keep working with this coach that I've hired to to make my business incredible. And I just told my clients, hey, listen, I'm going to be doing therapy online. If you want to come uh, and and transition, you can. And probably 90% of, of my clients switched over. Hmm. And uh, ironically, the, five, the 5%, some folks I just lost just because they didn't want to innovate. Yeah. And, and that's fine. But the 5% of people that left because they didn't want to do online called back to try to get back on my books. But I was too full. You had I no couldn't room take them. them on anymore because I, you know, I looked at my practice and thought, well, I'm not sick. So since I'm not sick, let me work and yes. let me do something that the culture needs right now. Yep. Culture needs therapy. Yep. Culture needs to be healed. They need to know what to do in the midst of this global pandemic, how to operate, how to think, um, what to do with themselves yeah. in the midst of this. And I have some answers about yeah. it. Uh, and and I believe that because it, co- it costs a whole lot of money to get this PhD. Yeah. I don't think God minds me monetizing it. Absolutely. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it was so funny. I was having a conversation about a week and a half ago, and in the dialogue, I was talking about the fact that oftentimes we look at, you know, the construct of therapy as a uh, a crisis response, right? You know, if you're in a mental crisis, emotional crisis, relational crisis, career crisis, hey, go to therapy, get some support. And I say, and that is certainly an avenue. Um, I said, but you know, I think we should look at therapy also um, through the lens of advantage. Sometimes I'm not necessarily experiencing at least a perceived crisis, but I want an advantage when it comes to engaging in this world and a level of a greater consciousness of myself, um, how to access, you know, my emotions and process them well, how to have self-awareness to raise my emotional intelligence, like utilizing therapy as as an advantage. I don't have to be falling apart, you know, or in some way despondent to say, you know what, let me get someone in my life to help me think through, talk out loud, process some old stuff so that I can come into the gang at a higher level. And I feel like that goes back to the whole thing of like knowing yourself, because I think creativity and the ability to kind of get into the world and mix it up and do something great requires you being able to fire on as many pistons as you possibly can. And I think therapy becomes a vehicle by which you're able to increase your productivity, not just in your career, whatever, but just with how you deal with your homeboy, how you love your neighbor, how you are in a relationship with your with your spouse or your girl or your guy or your kids, like looking at it the lens of advantage. You know, is it making sense? Man, that that makes perfect sense. And I, I tell people all the time, don't don't wait until you're in a crisis to come to therapy. Come to therapy and get tools because guess what? A crisis is coming. It is coming. It's, coming. it's not, <laughs> right. you know, it's not a matter of, of you escaping crisis and it's never going to hit you. You're going to have some crisis, uh, some financial crisis, some psychological, emotional relationship crisis, some sort of crisis is going to rise in your life. And if you've got tools, you can meet that crisis mm-hmm. when it comes and maximize it yep. so that you come out okay. But but if you wait until the crisis comes and now you're trying to scramble to find a therapist and you're trying to get that person to hurry up and make wave the magic wand and fix it for you yeah. so that you can go back and, and handle your business, you're in big trouble. If you yeah. if you wait to get homeowners insurance, 
when it started raining <laughs> right. and, and, and flooding in your neighborhood. Right. And now you want to call yep. uh, State Farm or Progressive or whoever and now mm-hmm. get some flood insurance. No, babe, it's, just, it's too late. The Allstate guy late. can't help you at that point. Yep. You got to prepare. Yeah, you're not you in know, good hands. Earlier, earlier on, so that when the rain comes, when the <laughs> flood comes, you're gonna be in good shape. It's the same thing emotionally as, as you said. Get the tools that you need to manage stress when you're not stressed out, so that yeah. when you when your stress starts to escalate, you know what to do. You have have trained yourself. You have the information in order to engage it. When it does come. No, that makes perfect sense. That makes all the sense in the world. Dude, that makes perfect sense. So you said something a moment ago, and it's also something that's, that keeps coming up, is this idea of collaboration. So no matter what I'm reading, no matter who I'm talking to, over and over again, it's like networking, collaboration, silos, cipher, like these spaces, right? And so uh, some of you know that I, I'm a, I am a pastor, I'm a preacher. You know, I think I loved a little bit more than Dr. Baker did. Uh, but clearly he misses it because he's you know, he been on here preaching for the past you know thirty minutes. But um, but so so I was preaching and and so someone reaches out to me and they're like, yeah you know a friend of mine said you know don't listen to Pastor Jeremy because listen to him you ain't gonna have no friends he always telling you to you know kick people to the curb if they ain't this name that and so initially I got self conscious about it, like man am I am I ruining friendships am I Am I, am I causing wedges of division? And then I was like, yeah, I hope so. Because so much of our success is really tied up into the environment, the company we keep, the people that we roll with. And I think because we have these allegiances and these loyalties to leeches and people who maybe, and, and this is, man, this is no shade to anybody unless I'm talking about you. But to people who have no level of like ambition to do anything of consequence, they are, are part of the crew that just wants to be the same. Um, I think we don't recognize how much of a hindrance it is. And the need for us to desperately seek out and to create the type of disposition that attracts people who are headed somewhere and who don't mind you being headed somewhere who are not in competition with you, who are not trying to beat you, who are not some way um, impacted ne- negatively because you winning. People who are like, let's do something great and of consequence and have the, 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 will embrace the rigor that it takes to do something that matters. And so when, when you think about that, when you look at the people that you deal with, you know, in your experience, when you think about this idea of collaboration and, and the power of network, the power of friendship, the power of who you rolling with, how do you process um, a person, or let me say this, how do you tell people, or what's your advice on how they should be thinking about creating those collaborative environments? Like what's the rubric, what's the litmus test, what's the canon for like who gets to roll and who doesn't? Who gets to rock with you, who doesn't, absolutely. Remember when you and I first became friends, we met on it, a cruise ship. It was definitely a dark day. I've regretted that moment. Every- oh, I mean, go ahead. What, what were you saying? I remember I said to you, <laughs> I want to be your friend. Of course. But let me, let me tell you what kind of friend 
I I want to be. You're welcome. I, when I if I say I want to be your friend, that means I'm going to invest in friendship. Yes. I'm going to call you, and I'm going to expect you to pick up the phone. Yep. And if you can't talk to me, I'm going to expect you to call me back. Yep. And when you call me, I'm going to do the exact same. If you leave a message, even if you don't. Yep. I'm yep. going to call you back. Yo, what's what's going on? It won't be three or four months before I call you back because mm -hmm. that's not the kind of friendship that that I have. I don't have a lot of friends, but the ones I have are authentic. Yeah. And you were like, dude, that's it. I'm the exact same way. Yep. And so we were able to be friends based on this 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 rubric that yep. I laid out there and yep. said, hey, listen, this is what it looks like to be my friend. Yep. And here's what you get by yeah. being friends. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm just being re really, really clear about um, about who who you are and what you expect. Um, that's all all a part of that of that of that rubric. Being yep. able to to tell your friends the truth and let them tell you the truth as well. There was a year, it might've been 2021, I don't know, but I remember I had um, I had let you and uh, another buddy of mine, I had let you all believe a lie about me. Hmm. I'm, I'm not gonna say what it, what it is here. Oh, it's getting juicy now. Come on, tell it all. No, I'm just joking, do not tell, <laughs> do not say it. <laughs> I not, I that's not. for the that's for Misfits Manifesto After Dark. That's what that's for. Go ahead. So we 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 believe the lie. Go ahead. Start right there. I, I remember I let you and I let my buddy Russell believe something that was not true. Okay. And I called you toward the end of the year. I was probably on New Year's Eve, and I said, "Listen, man, I need to come clean about something." Yep. I didn't. I, I, I let you believe something that was not true. Here's the. Tr I don't want to go into the new year with this. Um, hanging over our friendship. I need us to have an authentic relationship. I need our relationship to have deeper intimacy. And if that's going to happen, I can't keep secrets. I can't lie to you. Yeah. And it's eating me up inside. Here is the truth of the matter. Yeah. I did that with you. And I did that with my other buddy, Russell, who you know. And it liberated me, man, mm. because I was living in, I was living with the guilt not only what I had done, but that I had let you guys believe something about it that wasn't true. Yeah. And so, do you remember that conversation? I do, vividly. In fact, let me just share a little bit about that. So what happened was, and I'm, I'm joking, dude. I'm just playing. Go ahead. <laughs> Go, please, finish, dude. He's done a great job. <laughs> Oh, no, but I, 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 um, it, I didn't do that with everybody. Yeah. I didn't do that with all my yeah, friends. Yeah. Just you guys. Yeah. I knew you. I knew. I knew you loved me. Yeah. I knew you loved me, and there was safety in that love. And there was um, the, the where there is safety, there gets to be more vulnerability. Here's how it's relationship good. works. So good. If, if here's my word picture for vulnerability. By the way, vulnerability means I'm gonna get naked. And I'm going to trust that you won't laugh and point. Mm. That's essentially what, what a vulnerability is. If I get naked and you start laughing and pointing and, and giggling and critique, well, what's that? And, you know, and critiquing, I'm never going to do this again. Yeah. But if you accept me just as I am now, we're going to be able to be friends. Sure. If, 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 if there is safety, then there can be uh, vulnerability. And when there's vulnerability and safety, then there's deeper intimacy. Yeah, that's 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 the quotient. Whether it's in a marriage relationship or in a friendship, there have to be people in your lives that you can disclose to, yeah. who won't judge you, who won't you know say bad things about you. They they can correct you because they have that authority in your life. But they're not going to stop being friends because you are authentic with them. Yeah, because the authenticity and the vulnerability. Uh, mingled with the safety is what allows them to 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 have deeper intimacy.
And and for me, you guys didn't didn't know the truth of what happened. Sure. I told you mm -hmm. because it was going to be a barrier between you and me. Yeah. And yeah. I don't want anything to be a barrier in my in my relationship with my closest friends. I just I don't want that to be so. Yeah. Because I I'm going to need to pull on you. I'm going to need to to trust you. You're going to need to trust me. And I don't want there to be any secrets. Yeah. yeah. So uh, having people in your life that you can do that with is of vital importance. Yeah. People that let you be you and be um your and be wrong sometimes and say, sure. yo man, you need to take that post down. Yeah. You need to fix this. You need to do that. You need to stop doing this. Do this instead. And and when you say, you know what, you're absolutely right. That's what I need to do. I'm gonna take that advice. That's good advice. Yeah. yeah. And but having those kinds of people in your in your life uh, and then having mutuality. I'm talking about account accountability and safety, vulnerability yeah. and humility and accountability. You yeah. know, all of these things are what's needed if you're going to be uh, in these in this authentic um, misfits movement. Yeah. No, I think. So here's what's so dope about what you just said. So and and um, I, I shared this when I introduced this podcast. I talk a little bit about kind of where the whole misfit kind of mantra came from. But thinking about what you just mentioned takes me back to how I got to this conversation about misfits. And it started out as a, the phrase was actually outsiders, and it's actually from a Bible story, because, you know, I'm, this is my industry, right? And it's when, it's a story in the Bible. For those of you who are Christians or read the Bible, uh, you know what I'm talking about. For those of you who are not Christians, read the Bible. There's a story in the Bible where these four men to, or these men take their friend uh, to Jesus because he needs to be healed, right? He's a he's a quad, he's a quadriplegic, right? And uh, he's he's carried on a stretcher to Jesus. The short version is the the house is filled with people, and no, they can't get in, so they start tearing up the roof of this house to let this man down because they believe that if they can get this man to Jesus, he'll be healed. And my position is these men bring their friend, but they remain outside. And I'm like, hey, there's this benefit to remaining outside. You know, there's this benefit to like, you know, there's no room, they can't fit in the house, they're misfits, but they have this level in which they do something so provocative and creative that it brings about this huge miracle moment, all right? So that's the basic story. But what you just said made me think of, of something. These men are bringing their friend in his most vulnerable moment. This man is absolutely at his worst, right? He can't move, he has no function. And the people that are with him are able to continue with him in a season when he's not in a position to pay them back, or in a position, he's just at, he's at a broken place. And when it comes to, I think, being a misfit and being able to do something of consequence, it requires you to be connected to people that you can be at your absolute worst and still be in, accepted and in the company of. And so often, here's what I sense, man. I sense that some people, and this is not passing things off to others, but I do believe there is a power when you're around people that love and accept you, that cheer for you, that support you, undergird you, it gives you this this groundswell support to be able to try and believe and to chase down big things when you're in the company of people that can carry you in your lowest season. I said in another, in another conversation, you know, it's when you can believe that even if there's a falter, it's not fatal. 
that you got some people that are around you that can help walk you through dark spaces. And so I really believe, honest to God, I really believe that, and I can't prove this with any empirical data, but I believe some of the most creative, innovative, disrupting people have curated an environment, not of a lot of people, not of a lot of people, but of enough people who are rolling with them, who they can bounce things off of, who are speaking a similar language, who are helping them to navigate some of the lowest lows, helping them to process and contextualize the highest highs. That gives them what they need, I think, to do incredible things in culture. It really takes being around really dope people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yes, 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 and yes. Because there will be enough haters, as we call Oh, God. Them. You're going to have those people. But if you have people around you that encourage you, um, so, sometimes you can hear your friends say, even when they don't say it, but you know that if you fall, they got your back. They got your back. You know that if something jumps off, they're going to, if you jump off the, off the high dive and you don't land in the water just right, they're going to jump in the pool and grab you yeah. and make sure you don't drown. Yep. You've got people that love you enough to challenge you yeah. to, to stop getting in the kiddie pool yep. and, and go up on the high dive. Oh, that's good. But also who, people will say, man, I got you. I got you. Yes, I'm yes. invested. I'm investing. I believe you can do it. I believe it's going to succeed. But you know what, man, if it, if it doesn't, it's it's cool. We'll try something else and we'll try it again. And if it doesn't look like you're going to be able to come up by yourself, we're yep. going to come up and get you. That's huge. That's huge. Because even going back to that, that little, oh, go ahead. I mean, you get you get courageous. You stick your chest out when you're like, yep, oh, yeah, yep. okay, all right, bet. My boy's going to come get me. Exactly. When you're rolling with the crew. My boy's going to come get me. Yeah. That's so true. Even going back to the analogy or in that story, you know, we don't have this part of the narrative, but the assumption is wherever they came from, them dudes was like, we can't stay here. You know what I mean? Like the dudes, that they were like, look, we're going to go down here and find this dude to see if he can do something about this issue that you got because we can't stay here. And I think you got to have people in your life that are like, I know you're broken. I know that last thing failed. I know you bumped your head. I know she left you. I, what, I know all of that, but we can't stay here. Come on now. Listen, well, I go to church quick. I actually have a church, Reverend. I mean, so, so, but my point is, you know what I mean? If you don't, like, honest to God, like, if I could, for every misfit that's out there, for every person out there that believes, like, you got this sneaky suspicion, there's something dope in you that you want to give to the culture, I would say one of, not the only, but one of your first moves is to get with people that sense that same thing. Because they're gonna, you're going to hit moments in life, you're going to hit these pockets where you don't have the faith sometimes that you need to believe by yourself. And you need people to be like, nah, you like, cry? You can cry, you can, you know, throw a little fit, but when you're done, we're going to wipe that face, you're going to put some oil on them eyes, and we're going to get up here and do something dope. And I think people underestimate the power of having a dope crew. Man, I remember you said something to me. I, I was I was mad at a at a mutual person in our lives. Mm -hmm. And he had really, in my mind, he had done me dirty. And I could not get over it. And I just, I, I, it was bad. And one day, I guess you had gotten sick enough of me <laughs> complaining about it. You just said to me, how long are you going to keep talking about this? Mm. How long? And that was a turning point for me. Mm. You, just, you, just, you just said you had been patient and tolerant 
of me just calling and, and, and talking about this because my heart was broken. Sure. At some point, you just were like, how long are you going to keep talking? <laughs> and it wasn't, it wasn't mean-spirited. Mm -hmm. um, it was something that a friend would say to another friend. How long are you going to stay here in this? You're better than sitting here in this. Get up and, and, and do something. And stop whining about this. Mm -hmm. And you didn't say those words sure. to me. Uh, even if you had, though, I heard it, it was it was said in such a loving way and in such a compassionate way because you had heard me for months and months and months talking about this situation. You were just finally like, look, I, I've had enough. You are better than this. Figure out how to move on. Yeah. No. That was the last time I was I was in that conversation with you. Thank you. I Jesus. remember thinking, I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm done weeping over this. I'm yeah. done. Yeah. And what's amazing is I honestly believe that a huge part of like we, when you and I talk about like where you are in life now and what you've been able to accomplish, it's so far beyond, you know what I mean? And like, like, and, 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 and without even going into it like deeply, like the metrics, man, the metrics on what you've been able to do in this last season. I mean, whatever would have been, whatever was before pales in comparison to where you are now, you know, and that's, that's huge. You know what I'm saying? That's huge. Absolutely. Yeah. So let me just, so I want to shift gears just for a second. So Simon Sinek has this, this, I think it's him. I, I got so much in my head, but he talks about this idea of doubting the default. This doubting I, the default? Yeah. Doubting the default. This idea that, you know, in order for you to really lean in, and this, this is my interpretation of this, obviously, to lean into, you know, developing your capacity um, to create, to aspire for something new, better, brighter, bigger, whatever it might be, you kind of got to show up with a little bit of, of doubt for what they put in your hands as what's supposed to be. You know what I mean? Like, like imagine someone hands you a device and it has all these presets and they say, this is the way this is supposed to work. And you take it and you just operate with that thing based on the presets and don't recognize that there are other ways in which you can manipulate that device to do things, you know, that are much more expansive, creative and more efficient. And so, you know, when it comes to the fact that a lot of times in life you get handed things with presets. You get handed relationship with presets. You get handed how to do a job with presets. And I think Simon's position is, look, you got to doubt the default. Doubt just that the presets are all there is and see if you can imagine a world or imagine how to rethink about what you receive to create something new. Um, when it comes to Okay, so talk to me a little bit about when it comes to you know, our tendency just to accept anything and everything as it comes, as it is, what does it take for us to receive what we get and to recognize that these elements, even if it's best practices, conventional wisdom, all these wonderful things that are not necessarily inherently bad, but they just come as they are, what does it take for you to be able to say, you know what, this is great, but I, I wanna, and here, here's a great phrase a buddy of mine uses, it is the tension between honor and innovation. Honoring what was, honoring what you have, not in any way, you know, speaking ill of it, but innovating and recognizing there's a chance to do something different, more or better. How does one get to that place 
of not just accepting and receiving what you receive, but imagining how you can create something new. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it has to do with the questions that you ask, hmm. you know, the questions that you ask. So if you give me something that's got presets, um, clearly it works this way, but does it have to be that way to work? You gave it to Ooh. you gave it to me with the presets, so I know it works. That's this a good way. question. But I wonder if it if the presets are changed, will it work the same way, or would it produce something different? Yeah. So now I'm, I'm asking questions. Yeah. I'm not just accepting and 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 it's not just a plug and play situation. Yeah. Um. Um. You handed me something, and I get to look at it. This is my coffee mug. I get to look at it, and think, okay, I, I know it works this way. But it could be possible it could work this way too. Right, right. You know, or it it could work this way. Yeah. And I gotta be willing to keep trying yeah. the different ways because just because it works this way, uh, doesn't mean that it that it won't work, you know, several other ways yeah. if I ask enough questions of it. Yeah. Uh, I remember the sermon you 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 preached. I remember specifically uh the day you preached it. I remember that sermon. That's not the first time I heard that sermon preached, mm -hmm. but it was preached from an angle I never heard it quite like the way you preached it. Hmm. And it's the same same idea. You, we get to look at texts this this way, you know, and see what is the text really saying, you know. And um, once we have information, we start to realize, okay, so it can do this, it can do that, it can do that, and, and it can do that. That often things have multiple uses. Medicine is that way. Hmm. You know, that that they discovered Viagra, uh, Viagra looking for a, a heart medication, right? Something mm -hmm. like that. And now it's one of the most famous uh, uh, medical innovations in, in history, really. Really? Why, why is it so famous? Say more about that. Why is this so famous? Because it solves a problem there. Are you serious? <laughs> I just, you said you made a statement. I just didn't want you to fully unpack it. So, because it's, it solved a problem. It wasn't. It wasn't meant to solve, but it solved a problem that had not been solved previously, which was the problem of a male erectile dysfunction. Mm. So it was a heart medicine, mm -hmm. but it also allowed men to, to have erections that weren't able to have a sustained erections before. Amen. So the medicine does this, but it also does this. Mm -hmm. it, it, there's several medicines out there like that, yeah. uh, that that are designed to do one thing, but it also can do three or four other things as well. And I think we got to keep asking the questions. That's so good. How is this useful to me? How, how, how if, I, if I do this with it, I wonder would that work? What's the worst that could happen if I turned it over yeah. and tried it that way? Yeah. And we, we, we continue with curiosity and with humility. Yeah. And humility doesn't say, you know, um, uh, I know it can work uh, a whole bunch of other ways. It says, hmm, I, it says, I wonder. Yeah. I don't know, but I'm curious. I wonder, what, could this have multiple uses? And when we start asking those kinds of questions, that's, that's when the discovery comes about. Oh, absolutely! Actually, if I use it for that, it's an even better product. Yeah. To, to my uh, Viagra analogy. Yeah. It's yeah. an even better. I mean, how many people were buying that pill for for heart medicine? Right. Versus right. the number of people uh, that were buying the Pfizer Viagra pill is astronomical. Right. And I'm sure you have that data. I'm sure. Um, go ahead. What were you saying? That's another stock I wish I bought. What did you say to me? I'm, I. What did you say to me? 
<laughs> so here's the deal. So I just want I want to just grab that phrase, dude. And I only have I have one last question. I want to grab that phrase. I know it works this way, but does it have to be this way to work? That's that's huge. You you say from time to time really important stuff. And I want to just comment on that and give you your flowers while you're still alive, brother. That was good. I appreciate it. Here's the final question. The final question is, and, and, I'm, and I'm asking everybody this question that I meet, that I talk to. And thanks again, man, for being on here. Dude, you have no idea how much I appreciate you. Bring me back. Oh, dude, come on. Every time. In fact, why don't we just make every podcast just me and you? See, see how that works. But um, so I keep quoting this this Sergey Brin. You know what would be funny if this is not actually a Sergey Brin quote? It would be hilarious if I made this up. But this is the Sergey. This is the I think I think Sergey said this. He said, um, "If if what you're doing doesn't seem to some to be science fiction, it's not transformative enough." So that's, that's, so that's his phrase. If what you're doing doesn't seem to be science fiction to some, it's not transformative enough, right? So here's, here's my question to you. When you think about what's next, whether that's in your own personal life, your business, how you see the world, what you want to offer culture um, as an innovator, as a misfit, you know, or even what you see happening in the world around you, people that you see percolating, what's the thing that sounds silly now until it happens? Like, what do you see that could be on the horizon from you, around you, um, that right now it sounds like science fiction? It seems like it's ridiculous. But once it happens, people are going to be amazed. I think, I think for me, honestly, I've been, I've been working this out in the last probably 18 months as to what's next for me. Hmm. So... I'm not ashamed to tell you, I don't really know exactly. Yeah. I know something is coming. I just don't, I just don't know what it is. Yeah. And I have a sense. I think I spoke to you about this. I, I have a sense that, that I'm, I, I and we are, uh, those, those, those ones that are part of this misfits movement, we are on the verge of something, um, that that's going to be a global shift yeah. in the way that, um, that we do things, but I can't, I can't tell you exactly. Um, what that is for me yet. I'd love to be able to come back and tell you what it is. I think though for the world, so for instance, COVID changed the way we do therapy. Yeah. Uh, it's changed the way we do church. Yeah. Um, it's changed so many different things. I think what's happening now, there is a movement of people that are understanding the, the message of Jesus in ways that they have never understood it before. Hmm. And some of it I don't want this to be too veiled, but some of it has to, some of it looks like heresy, hmm. but it's truer than it's ever been. And I think th th those kernels mm -hmm. are going to, are going to pop. Th those kernels are going to explode as people get to know the message of Jesus and understand the message of Jesus, not just Jesus as savior, the message of Jesus, but I'm talking about really understanding the message that Jesus preached. Hmm. That is to say the message of the kingdom of God being at hand. Yeah. I think that, that message, people are going to understand it in a way that they never have before. And I think part, part of what God is doing for all of us, Christians and non-Christians alike, because see, God moves, God moves everybody, however he sees fit. Sure. So no matter what faith you are, God uses you and moves you. And so I think God is doing something now we we don't really we don't really even know 
what's about. We don't even have any idea what's about to happen, happen except we know that the kingdom that Jesus talked about is, is about to come in a fullness that we've never seen before. Wow. Well, does that feel? No, that feels like a cliffhanger. Like you trying to get back on the podcast for a part two. That's what that feels like. Cause that was good. And it leaves so much out there. There are so many more questions I could ask based on what you said. So I'm going to have to bring you back so that we can dig in that a little bit more, bro. You know, I love you. I appreciate you, man. I love you back. bro. Your brain is brilliant. Uh, everybody in the room, producers, all of you, can y'all give this man a good round of applause? This, this guy is absolutely incredible. I love you, bro. And, uh, yeah, dude. Thanks, man. I love you, man. Bring me back whenever you want to. You know I'm down with it. Thank you so much for listening to the Misfit Manifesto. I trust this has been as you know impactful for you as it has been for me. Now, what makes these type of moments in this community special is when you're a part of it. So I want to encourage you to go to MisfitManifesto.com. Join the conversation and join the community. I believe something is on the horizon, but I don't want to do it alone. I want to do it with you. So come be a part and let's see some amazing things happen.